Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Tuesday, January 17th, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air on the Memorial of the Abbot St. Anthony. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverens and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. It's great to be with you here on this Tuesday morning on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Tuesdays, I always take a moment uh, to remind you about the guardian angels. Uh, Traditionally, on Tuesdays, we uh, think about the guardian angels. We pray to our guardian angels. So uh, pray often to your guardian angel asking for help. The angels are there to help us. Now, this Friday marks a historic day for the pro-life movement. It's the first March for Life since the overturning of Roe v. Wade last summer. In celebration of this victory and continued efforts to protect all human life in every state, join the March for Life in spirit this Friday with the hashtag Fast for Life. Take an active part in the march from your home or office by praying and fasting, uniting your prayers with the March Pilgrims for the protection of the unborn. You can join us this Friday, hashtag Fast for Life. Sign up this morning at relevantradio.com slash fast. Now, how are uh, some of the folks uh, participating? Well, here's an example. Kim from Eagle River, Wisconsin writes, a food fast of all sweets, everything except a few basic plain meals and lots of water. Nick from uh, Yorba Limba, California writes, I will be fasting via traditional means as well as drink only water throughout the day and attend daily mass. Just a, one of the examples of how f- folks will be uh, participating in this fast for life. Again, uh, just go to relevantradio.com slash fast to uh, sign up. I want to bring in our morning air team, uh, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the uh, stories that are making headlines here this hour? Well, folks still kind of uh, trying to chase down what was up with those uh, missing top secret documents uh, that were actually in the garage and elsewhere around the Biden uh, family residence, the private residence uh, in Delaware. Uh, Of course, uh, the first batch uh, found a little bit before the midterm elections and news of that came out about a week ago. And they found some more at uh, the former vice president's home after his time as vice president in the garage there next to the Corvette. And uh, But no records on who might have seen those in terms of who had access to the private home. The White House keeps detailed records on who comes and goes, but uh, not so at the president's private residence. Yeah, that, that seems uh, kind of remarkable, that, that the Secret Service uh, would not have some kind of, of record of who goes in and out of uh, the president's uh, home, his private uh, residence. Uh, I, I find that uh, hard, hard to, to believe. Well, it's probably because when you're in the Secret Service, there's like a secret knock that you need to have to uh, get into any special residence. So only they know the secret knock, so they know who's coming in and out. They just don't have to keep a record because only so many people know the secret knock. So that could, well, that's probably not it, but. <laughs> uh, it's a good theory, nevertheless. Uh, there's so many questions, Glenn. It's maddening. Uh, you know, why wasn't all of this disclosed before uh, the midterm elections when they knew days beforehand? No, uh, 
yeah, you know, it, it wasn't. And uh, some figure the timing now might be interesting, as an announcement was expected uh, late this month about uh, what Mr. Biden's plans will be for 2024. So uh, we'll see. But by the way, I think maybe the pulling out the, the third book on the second shelf might be what opens the secret passageway there. So. Ah, see, that's it probably isn't a knock. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, I actually saw a picture of the Corvette uh, with the garage in the background, and it looked kind of messy. Didn't look uh, very uh, 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 top, uh, you know, Secret Service like in the, in that garage. Well, most garages are pretty messy, so maybe it's kind of supposed to be in disguise. No one would be able to tell this garage from any other garage. There could be. There's so many theories out there. It's hard to narrow down what might be the truth. All right. Well, we'll find out. Uh, more in the days and weeks to come. This story doesn't look like it's going to be going away. Meanwhile, uh, NFL Monday Night Football last night, uh, the Dallas Cowboys routed uh, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 31-14 to was the final. Dak Prescott with four touchdown passes on the night. He also ran for another, as heard on ESPN. Prescott, end zone touchdown, Dallas. Schultz's second of the night. Good protection and the pass wide open. Touchdown Lamb. And Dak Prescott has had a fantastic night. He was outstanding as we watched Tom Brady come out to shake hands and find Dak Prescott. If in fact this is it for Tom Brady, all I can say on behalf of all football fans is thank you and what a career. Glenn, uh, what's your gut feeling uh, for the GOAT? Uh, could this be it? Could this have been the last NFL game uh, for the seven-time Super Bowl champion, Brady? Brady was in 10 Super Bowls. Nobody's been in more. Won seven. No one's won more. MVP of those games five times. No one's done that. But as he walked off the field, it looked like he was, you know, walking off game number three of the season 10 years ago, something like that. So, uh, you know, we know he has a bit of a poker face as uh, a very intense competitor, but uh, hard to tell from how he looked. Uh, walking off looked very normal. Some say he might end up elsewhere wanting to end on a more winning note. I mean, he did make it to the playoffs again, but uh, the team had a, a losing record his first time uh, throughout his professional and college career. He's actually been on a team with a losing record and that he might want to end differently. Well, he'll be uh, 46 uh, next season, so the question is, does he want to keep taking the pounding that an NFL quarterback takes, getting hit uh, game after game, or would he rather be uh, in an analyst role? Uh, he's got a job waiting for him at Fox. He could be on a beach next to some turtles. You never know. Uh, largest gathering ever of turtles on the planet in South America. Uh, hundreds of thousands of little baby river turtles uh, heading uh, for the beaches. About 80,000 adult female turtles were on the beach in September. Bringing to mind those commercials one might see during football. I can't remember the, the name of the car, but the, the guy with the beard looking a little bit like Jesus. He rakes the beach with something behind his vehicle and makes it uh, and clears the path for the little turtles to scamper back to the water. And so uh, I think, you know, people love their turtles, Sarah. Yeah, that's that Kia Sportage. And you know what? It's interesting because I don't know that that accessory of the rake is something that you can purchase at the Kia store. But that is a, it is a good commercial because <laughs> you're thinking it is true that you're watching this commercial and you're so caught up that you're like, what is this car? You don't even know. So I don't know how effective the commercial actually is because we mostly just remember that the guy driving the vehicle looks like Jesus. But yeah, you know what? Keeping turtles around is a good thing because they are just interesting characters. In fact, if you have a turtle and you have to will it to someone because they live so long that usually they're going to outlive you, which is kind of scary. 
Oh, man, you're going to leave the turtle in charge of the estate then. I tell you, we, my <laughs> grandpa caught a snapping turtle once, and all I remember is uh, he took it back in the boat, and he was sitting in front, and it was kind of snapping at his pants there. And uh, so turtles can be a little feisty sometimes, depending on the, the brand of turtle you're messing with. This is what I love, love about our show. We'll go from Tom Brady to turtles. You'll never know what we're going to talk about on any given mo- moment, any given day. There you well, go. Tom Brady, kind of a superhero as well. I mean, some turtles are superheroes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you are cueing me to uh, play this music, I think. is uh, Get that Ninja Turtle music into the show. Uh, hell or high water, I guess. So we're going to get it in. Yes, Ninja Turtles. They're always on the topic. Like you said, John, we're everywhere today. Yes, we are. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Sarah and Glenn. Sure thing, John. We start every hour, always uh, in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, keeping in mind that every single day is a blessing. Every day is a gift. We always uh, pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook, at Morning Air Show. And you can always send us an email directly, morningair at relevantradio.com. And now, let's talk about love. According to uh, recent surveys, they're showing that people continue to make New Year's resolutions, and many of them are quite similar to those that they made just last year. Looks like many of us are hoping to achieve this year what we were hoping for last year. But uh, what can and should we truly hope for year after year and all lifelong? Joining us uh, live this morning is our resident uh, loveologist and hope-filled love evangelizer, Martha Fernandez Sardina, to share some thoughts on the theological virtue of Christian hope in relation to uh, faith and love to ensure that we are living a faith-filled, hope-anchored, and love-driven life this year and the next and every day of our lives. Martha is an international bilingual speaker, the former director of evangelization for the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. and San Antonio. She's also the founder of RememberYouAreLoved.com. Good morning, my sister Martha. Thanks so much uh, for being with us once again. Great to be with you here still early in this uh, new year. Good morning. Great to be with you. Yes, it, uh, it seems like it started a long time ago, and yet it's barely begun. It's hard to believe we're already in uh, day 17 of uh, 2023, uh, and uh, hope is on your mind this morning. Uh, Tell us uh, why you're thinking about hope here uh, in this new year. Well, because new year, new beginning, and I I want to help uh, all our listeners to nurture Christian hope and to make it a priority this year. In fact, I invite you all to make this your number one New Year's resolution 
to go about living a faith-filled, anchor-hoped, and love-driven life. Uh, and that's because hope is such a crucial, uh, precious, necessary gift and theological virtue. Uh, it's a gift from God that we have received, and it's an important grace that we all need, and without which we can barely survive, let alone thrive in this valley of tears, as we call it. And uh, it's also on my mind because I will be speaking about living a faith-filled, hope-anchored, and love-driven life at the Anchor of Hope Catholic Women's Conference uh, on January the 28th in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's organized by the Women in the New Evangelization, and you can find details at catholicvineyard.com and register there. So hope is on my mind. Hope is on my heart for myself and for others. So I'm inviting uh, all women to that conference. You can register, you can bring your sisters, your mothers, your friends, your adult and young adult daughters. And uh, we'll focus as I want us today, John, to focus on the anchor of hope that the letter of Hebrews talks about in chapter six. It's such an important, such a rich, such a timely topic, uh, and even uh, an, an urgent topic, I think, these days, after all that we've been through uh, for the last three years and leading up to them. So Though you and I are probably going to barely scratch the surface today of all that can be said about hope, uh, let's get started, and uh, and uh, maybe we'll continue next week in the and uh, on this topic. But let's give our listeners a little bit of hope today. Well, I uh, I thought about you, uh, Martha, um, when we were uh, talking about hope in relation to, uh, to uh, the, the funeral of uh, Pope Benedict Emeritus, uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh, I know this is a topic that he spoke about and wrote about, had an encyclical on. Can you tell us what is Christian hope? Yes, he was a great man of hope, and I think he he lived with hope and died with hope. Well, Christian hope is that assurance that we have that springs forth from faith, from our trust in God, and it's based on what God, who is love, has promised us in the past that we can expect to get in the future, especially the hope of salvation and eternal life. So Christian hope is that sure, steadfast anchor for the soul, as we read in the letter to the Hebrews chapter 6 verses 15 through 20. It boldly asserts that we have this hope, this sure, steadfast anchor of the soul. It's a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain, that anchor of hope. So so we go into the inner sanctuary of God, thanks to the theological virtue of hope, there which Jesus Christ, our forerunner, has already gone before us and is inviting us to follow him. So it's God's promises and his unchangeable character and it's his fidelity that are actually the anchor of our soul. amidst the savage storms that sometimes buffet our lives as if we were a little ship that is about to capsize. And, and God is that anchor of hope that steadies us, that calms us, that keeps us afloat in the midst of the raging waters. And hope comes to our rescue when we feel overwhelmed, when when we're afraid that our little lives will capsize, you know, like a little boat that's tossed to and fro and thrashed and trashed and sinking fast and with the waters coming over our, our borders fast and furious. And it's that steadfast hope that serves as an anchor. And it's based, as I said, on that confident assurance that we have through a firm faith. Uh, and, and, and when that's threatened uh, with the raging storms that seem to overpower us, um, that we must safeguard that hope at all costs as if our, uh, as if our very existence depended on it because it actually might. <laughs> and uh, we might feel sometimes, as a matter of fact, 
like the apostles when they were in the middle of this raging storm that we read about in the gospels and gripping fear came over them and in total desperation they cried out cried out to jesus uh, who is lord um with great fear and it's interesting in matthew it says in matthew eight twenty five, it says that they came to jesus who was asleep in the boat and they woke him saying save us lord we are perishing and that is exactly what she, we should say to to the lord save us save us because we don't want to perish we want to have eternal life but it's interesting that in mark four thirty eight they add another more desperate and i'd say embarrassing cry when they say when it says in mark that they went to jesus who was in the stern asleep on a cushion and they woke him up and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing and that verse has always caught my attention because imagine that john do you not care they say to the very one who is i care incarnate who is love incarnate so jesus wakes up and he asks them with a loving rebuke why are you afraid have you still no faith as if you were saying calm down you're not going to die chill out because he's in the boat with us but a lot of times you and i will cry out that way don't you care lord does it not matter to you save us and we do want him to save us but he's in the boat with us we're in the same boat. Jesus is in the same boat with us. When I have my greatest troubles, when I feel like I'm sinking, when I feel that life is overwhelming, I need to remind myself with hope. That's what needs to anchor me, to tell me that Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the anchor of hope, is in this boat with me and for me. So what's the worst that can happen? That I die with him? That he dies with me? That he dies for me? that I die for him, all that's a good thing. The only thing that you and I need to be worried about is that we die without him, without God. That's a bad thing. Or that we live without him because that's a bad thing too. And Martha, just the, the simple short prayer that we say here twice uh, every morning, Jesus, I trust in you. You have to have that kind of trust uh, in the Lord that uh, he's in charge no matter what happens uh, uh, one way or the other. Uh, it comes down to, to trusting in the Lord. And uh, it, this is much more trusting in the Lord, much more than just uh, you know wishful thinking. Uh, can you talk about some of these uh, misconceptions that, that some folks have when, when it comes down to uh, talking about hope? Yes, absolutely. We need to have, like you said, that trust in the Lord. And that's the basis, that faith and that trust. And it's it's more than just, uh, you know, when we say, I hope so, a lot of times it's, I wishfully think so, or I'll put that on my wish list. But when it comes to Christians, when I say, I hope, I am making a profession of faith. I'm making a declaration. I'm making a proclamation of the one whose word is his guarantee. I'm making a profession of faith and proclaiming to the world that God is 100% trustworthy and true, which is why we can say, Jesus, I trust in you. And so hoping is not merely uh, wanting or wishing that he will do this or that for me, but knowing and thus confidently expecting and trustingly awaiting that which he will do for me, that which he, will, he has actually promised that he will do for me, for me, for you, for all of humanity. So Christian hope is based on God's promises in the past about what he will deliver in the future. And that requires that we remember, that we remember whose we are, who we belong to, and who we are, and that we remember that we are loved. That's why I always tell people, remember you are loved. 
by love himself. Remember that you belong to God, who is existence himself, who is goodness, who is wisdom, who is power. And as we hear in the uh, letter to the Hebrews in chapter 11, that in that beautiful retelling of, of the great uh, uh, forerunners in, in faith and hope and love, all those men and women who preceded us, starting with Abel and going all the way to Enoch and Noah and Abraham and, and the rest, it says in Hebrews 11 that uh, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their father because he has prepared a city for them. And that's what you and I with Christian hope are expecting, that God in the past promised us that glorious future. And that's our call too, to live anticipating and longing for that eternal city, for that eternal home of ours. And that's uh, why Christian hope points us to something that's greater than the temporal and the earthly and is far better than the passing and the finite things that we are so involved with now. And so you and I, John, and all of you listeners, we're called um, from this world out of this world. And we're called to not live only for this world, but primarily for the next. We're called for more, for glory, for eternity, to live with God forever. And that Christian hope assures us if we choose to believe and hope and love God. And uh, Christian hope is so important that the Catechism of the Catholic Church actually uh, has a whole section on this theological virtue. Uh, real briefly, and we'll get into it more next time, uh, can you talk about why hope is so important? Yes, in the Catechism, in the section uh, 18, 17 and following, it talks about that uh, faith, uh, hope, and love that go together, and specifically there about hope. But why is it so important, John? Because lack of hope can kill us. It can slowly rob us of our joyful anticipation of things to come. It can kind of rob us of a sense of meaning and purpose. It can deprive us of, of a, an enjoyment of life and relationships and the beautiful things that we have here on earth and to anticipate the more beautiful things and relationships that await us in heaven. And uh, a severe lack of hope can literally kill us quickly in the most tragic cases of death by suicide after the person who has been suffering uh, has been feeling quite dead inside for quite a long time. So we don't want lack of hope to take our life away from us. We want to learn how to go about living a faith-filled, hope-anchored, and love-driven life, and to teach that to others, to model that to others, to give Christian hope to others, and to be ready and eager and willing and able at all times to give reason for the hope that is within us, as St. Peter exhorts us in 1 Peter 3.15. So that's the call, John, to profess and proclaim our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ, who is the anchor of hope. It's a big, big uh, subject, and uh, we've just begun. We just scratched the surface. We're going to dive into this a lot more uh, the next time we get together next week. Uh, as always, uh, Martha, uh, oh, oh, finally, how can people get a hold of you if they want to invite you to their uh, area? Yes, uh, you can find me at rememberyourlove.com and marthafernandezsardina.com. And uh, you can uh, send me a message, message there or email me and sign up for that January 28th Anchor of Hope conference by going to catholicvineyard.com. And remember, you are loved.
And so are you. Thanks so much, Martha. Martha Fernandez-Sardina, the founder of RememberYouAreLoved.com and the host of the Remember You Are Loved TV series. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Uh, Catholic apologist William Albrecht will be with us to discuss the upcoming Word of God Sunday started by Pope Francis a few years ago and to talk about the importance of sacred scripture, the Bible for all Catholics. Stay with us as the final hour of Morning Air continues here on Relevant. Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Tuesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the playbook of life, as I like to call it, uh, is from Matthew 5.16. Jesus the Lord says, Let your lights so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is a a powerful uh, verse. Uh, This is what we try to do uh, every day here on Morning Air and on Relevant Radio. As Catholic Christians, we need to shine the light of Christ wherever we go every day and be a light that shines in the darkness. We must walk in the light as our Lord Jesus Christ is the true light of the world. He is our example. We must shine the light. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer from the chapter of divine mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. This is what it's all about. A number of you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Now, as the great scripture scholar, St. Jerome, uh, who translated the Bible into Latin, famously said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And in fact, this coming Sunday, the third Sunday of Ordinary Time, the Catholic Church will celebrate uh, the Word of God Sunday. Why did Pope Francis uh, dedicate a day to meditate on the Word of God? And what is the importance of sacred Scripture for us as Catholics? Joining us live is Morning Air contributor and Catholic convert, a resident apologist, William Albrecht, with much more on uh, Word of God Sunday and a truly authentic Catholic perspective on the Bible. William is an international speaker and debater. He's participated in well over 65 live uh, and moderated debates. He runs the website called patristicpillars.com, which is dedicated to the early church fathers. William is also the author of several books, including The Definitive Guide to Solving Biblical Questions about Mary, Mary Among the Evangelists, and The Secret History of Transubstantial pulling back the veil on the Eucharist. Good morning, Brother William. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Great to be with you uh, here uh, in uh, mid-January. I can still say Happy New Year to you. It is such a magnificent topic to talk about during this season that we're in. Well, 
this is one of my favorite topics uh, in in the whole world, and it's it's so uplifting to know that the, the Holy Father, a few years back in 2019, um, decided to uh, institute uh, an entire Sunday dedicated uh, to the Word of God, and he's keeping in line with so many popes before him, uh, Pope Benedict, uh, John Paul II, uh, you know, all the way back to you know Pius X and Benedict XV. I mean, all these pontiffs in the last century plus have encouraged Catholics to study the Bible, to read the Holy Scriptures. In fact, um, I I wanted to share with you uh, paragraph 133 uh, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which I think really sums it up, uh, William. And it says, quote, The Church forcefully and specifically exhorts all the Christian faithful to learn the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ by frequent reading of the divine Scriptures— and again, it quotes St. Jerome, ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of Christ. That's a super important reminder for all of us. And this is what I think Pope Francis is trying to get us to do uh, with this Word of God uh, Sunday. Without a doubt. And what a great point that you bring up there. As you point out, the Holy Father really, really wants us to dive into sacred scripture, to really learn what the Word of God has to say. And the reason being, as you know very well, John, the Bible is a Catholic book, and he knows that we are living in a time, tumultuous times, where Catholics, they've got to know their scriptures. And, well, they really should know them because there's nothing to fear opening up the Bible. It's a Catholic book taught by Catholics. When we read the New Testament, you're reading the fulfillment of everything that was prophesied in the Old Testament, and they're teaching Catholic things. So, really, this is the message of the Holy Father. And as you pointed out, John... So many popes, even before Pope Francis, have always emphasized not only really reading Holy Scripture, but really delving in and really, really just consuming the Word of God. And really, as you pointed out, the great St. Jerome is such a magnificent example of one that upheld the truth found in sacred Scripture. Uh, It's such a great reminders, such a great point uh, that the Bible is a Catholic book. And I mean, that's a whole show topic in and of itself that we've actually addressed uh, in in the past. I I think that Catholics still have a ways to go to really internalize that truth, that it it is our book. It's a Catholic book. But for you, as a former Protestant uh, and now a Catholic convert, um, can you talk about, from your perspective, uh, the importance of sacred scripture? Without a doubt, John, when I was a Protestant, I used to think that we were the ones that really, truly, truly loved and defended sacred scripture. Not to say that our evangelical friends don't, but when you stop and you realize that really the fullness of the truth, a complete Bible can only be found within the Catholic faith. That is when you stop and you realize, hey, we're the ones that have protected, vouchsafed, and defended the complete word of God through all of these centuries, and that is something Catholics have got to be proud of. They've got to be thrilled about it. Not only that, but the manner, as you put it out in in, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the way it talks about sacred scripture, and the way it says that the Church, to whom the transmission and interpretation of Revelation is entrusted, in paragraph 82, that really is the model of what sacred scripture lays out, because the Bible itself tells you the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. So if you want to call any religion, any faith, a Bible-based faith, you're going to say it is the Catholic faith because we really do love and really do take all of sacred scripture at face value. 
When it comes to uh, Scripture, can you talk a little bit about what we have in common with our evangelical uh, brothers and sisters and other Protestants? Without a doubt, we have a lot in common. That really is an amazing thing, John, because at times our evangelical friends may say, well, you know, you Catholics view Scripture in a lower status than we do, and that really couldn't be further from the truth, because Catholics view the Bible as the inerrant Word of God. That's correct, the inerrant Word of God, and we share the truth that we believe that Scripture has historical truths to be found within, and of course, moral truths as well. So we share a lot in common with our evangelical friends. Another thing that we share in common is we have a lot of books that are, that are the same, for instance, evangelicals have 66 books in their Bible. Now, we have a few more, equals out to about 72 or 73, depending on how you number them. But we have a lot in common. And I think that really should be the starting ground as to where we can begin talking about sacred scripture, John. It reminds me, uh, I remember hearing a, a while back uh, another uh, Catholic apologist who uh, talked about, you know, Bible thumpers. You know, he, he was a former Protestant, and he, he loved the idea that he could uh, thump uh, 66 books of the Bible. Well, he became a Catholic, and now he has many more books. He's got 73 books to thump, a fatter Bible. <laughs> That is correct. Not only a fatter Bible, but as Catholics love to point out, and rightly so, a complete Bible. And that really is something to be very proud of as Catholics. We need to become more familiar with the Bible. And I think that really is the incredible message of Pope Francis. What he wants is he wants evangelization. He wants people to become more familiar with the Word of God. He wants people to become more spiritual, and he wants people to grow closer to our Lord. That is why he is really, really emphasized reading the Word of God, and he's really following the examples of many other popes before him all throughout the centuries, as you pointed out, John. And I've got to emphasize, even if it's a few passages every day, don't, do not be afraid. Even if you just want to start off with the Gospels, open up your Bible. You should own a good Catholic Bible, and don't let it get dusty. Absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned uh, that uh, we, uh, we have a lot in common with our evangelical brothers and sisters. We, both Catholics and evangelicals, believe that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. We also have one other thing in common. We believe that it is the inspired Word of God. Can you talk about the role of the Holy Spirit uh, as uh, the inspiration and, and really the author of Scripture? Without a doubt, and that comes directly from 2 Timothy 3, where we read that all Scripture is theopneustos. That means God-breathed. So you're right. We believe that the Word of God is also inspired. It is God-breathed. And that is something that we share with our evangelical friends. So at the end of the day, we have so much in common, John, that people may think, well, you know, there are so many differences between each faith. Well, there are differences, but we have starting points where we can come to the table and fellowship and dialogue about these differences and perhaps show them a complete Catholic Bible really is the best way to go. And really the best and only way we truly recommend reading scripture is from a complete Catholic Bible. 
Absolutely. And uh, Vatican II, in its dogmatic constitution, Dave Verbum, says, quote, We frequently risk separating sacred scripture and sacred tradition without understanding that together they are the one source of uh, revelation. Uh, and again, we are Bible-believing uh, Catholics, uh, but we also understand the role of sacred tradition. Without a doubt, what a great point that you bring up there, John, because just as paragraph 82 of the Catechism tells you, it says both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. We have got to remember you cannot separate both of them, and they are vitally important. Indeed, John, as you know very well, it is because of sacred tradition that we know which books belong in the Bible, and that is vitally important. And you need sacred tradition to know that, and that is what is beautiful and magnificent about being a Catholic. We have that sacred tradition. Without that sacred tradition, we wouldn't even know what the four Gospels are. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, without sacred tradition. Without a doubt, we wouldn't even know that. And because of sacred tradition, not only do we know that, those four Gospels are inspired. They are God-breathed, and no other Gospels belong in the Bible but those four. But we also know because of sacred tradition, as you pointed out, John, we know the names of the authors. And throughout history, beginning from the very earliest times, the early church knew the identities of those authors. And because of sacred tradition, we can lay our heads softly in the pillow and realize, guess what? We know this, and we can be sure of this, about our apostolic faith. There is so much to talk about when it comes uh, to sacred scriptures, when it comes to uh, the Bible from a Catholic perspective. If you want to be part uh, of this conversation about the Word of God Sunday that's coming up this Sunday and the importance of Scripture from a Catholic perspective, if you are currently reading the Bible on a regular basis, if you're part of a Bible study, we'd love to hear from you, or if you have a Question or comment for Catholic apologist William Albrecht, you can give us a call, 888-914-9149. If you're passionate about Scripture, love to hear from you, 888-914-9149. We're going to take a short break as we continue our discussion with William Albrecht. Stay with us. There's much more to come on Morning Air after this. Welcome back to Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Uh, thanks for joining us as uh, we continue our fascinating uh, discussion about the upcoming Word of God Sunday, which is this coming Sunday, something that Pope Francis instituted a few years ago uh, to meditate on the Word of God. And we're talking about the importance of sacred scripture. And before the break, we were also talking about sacred tradition. Again, our number, if you want to be part of the conversation, 888 914 9149. 888 914 
9149. Uh, William, before the break, uh, we, we uh, alluded to the importance of, uh, of sacred tradition, that it goes with sacred scripture, as Dave Erbum uh, teaches us. Uh, we actually have a call uh, that I uh, would like to bring into our conversation. Uh, Dan is joining us this morning uh, from Las Vegas. Good morning, Dan. Uh, welcome to Morning Air. Thanks for letting me come on. Uh, listening to your uh, narrative on sacred scripture and sacred tradition, the question I have um, regarding your statement of they have to both line up, I, I agree. If they have to both line up, in the Bible, the five places that people were baptized, it was done in the name of Jesus, not in the titles. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Why don't the Catholics line up with Scripture there? Yeah, great question, Dan. So uh, there's a very important thing that we need to realize. First off, when it's talking about a the baptism in the name of Jesus, it's the kind of baptism that is to be done. That's not the actual formula, Dan. Now, this is the important part of sacred tradition, because we can actually look and see, okay, well, is this merely my opinion? Or is this the opinion of the early church as well, those that were taught and trained by the apostles? And we find out that the unanimous teaching of the early church is that exactly that the formula can be found in Matthew chapter 28. Now, what is the formula of baptism? It is to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit found in Matthew chapter 28. And you find this being the unanimous teaching of the early church. So here's the important thing, Dan. We realize that in the early church, there are a number of tiny traditions that you find. For instance, St. Basil liked to turn a certain direction when praying, but we call this a tiny tea. Well, what would we label a big tea? Well, just like 2 Thessalonians says, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold to the traditions which you were taught, either by word of mouth or by letter. Well, this is talking about the paradosis, a sacred tradition. And an example of this, Dan, would be the canon of Scripture. So once the church gathered in council early on, in particular the North African councils, you have the church gathering, speaking on these books. This becomes constant throughout church history, throughout all of the centuries, getting the stamp of approval by pope after pope after pope. This is an example of a sacred tradition. So I think we need to really differentiate, and we need to not only read the Holy Bible, we need to read the Bible through the lens of the early church, those that were vouchsafed with the ability to interpret properly. And when we do that, we realize that baptism has always been a Trinitarian formula in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Dan, I, I hope that helps. Uh, there's so much more that we can talk about when it comes to sacred tradition. Uh, William, uh, as, as you mentioned, you know, without sacred tradition, we don't know uh, the names of the four Gospels. We don't know how many books there are in the New Testament. Why 27? Why not 30? Why not 25? Uh, how do we know uh, authoritatively which are the books of the Old Testament? All of this comes to us f through sacred tradition. Well, John, another thing that I like to point out is that uh, people tend to think and they hear, well, we've got four Gospels. Well, in the early church, there were many more circulating. What about the Gospel of Peter? What about even, even people say, well, how ludicrous the Gospel of Peter or the Gospel of Judas? The fact of the matter is there are many other pseudonymous Gospels. Why don't those make the cuts? 
at the end of the day, John, it's because of church authority, church tradition, because those early church fathers recognized those other gospels to be spurious. But I have to ask our evangelical friends, by what authority do they come to the table and say that those gospels do not belong in the Bible? I have to say, the only church that has the ability to do that truly is the Catholic Church, because the Catholic Church is very clear. Only those four Gospels are authentic. The other ones are not authentic. How do they know that? Because all of the particular churches that were part of the one apostolic body rejected those other Gospels, and that is a clear example of living sacred tradition. A very clear example. And uh, even though, as Catholics, we are uh, Bible Christians, uh, we don't uh, go by the Bible alone, or uh, sola scriptura, as our evangelical Protestant friends uh, describe it. Uh, Can you explain why uh, the Bible alone is not our rule of faith for us Catholics? What a great, great point there, John. I think the most important thing is, if our evangelical friends want to really look at what sacred scripture teaches and base themselves off of sacred scripture. Well, the Bible itself doesn't teach that the scripture alone is the only authoritative source for faith and morals. Rather, we know that the pillar and foundation of truth is the church. So if we stick to what the scripture itself teaches, you don't have a Bible alone approach. And even at that, John, we have to be very careful because How do we get to the actual list of books that belong in the Bible by using the Bible-only criteria? It is impossible to do that. I'd add another thing. We know that our evangelical friends agree, even the Reformers agree, that Revelation stopped. It ended at the death of the last apostle. Well, where do you find that explicitly laid out in Scripture? You don't. At the end of the day, we need sacred tradition. They go hand in hand, as you pointed out, as Dave Verbum points out. And without sacred tradition, John, I have to argue, really, the veracity of the Bible, it falls apart. And it's a dangerous, dangerous path to go down if you abandon sacred tradition. Well, William, obviously we're, we're coming up on uh, Word of God uh, Sunday uh, as a, a former Protestant and, and now Catholic uh, convert. Uh, any uh, words of wisdom, some practical points on, uh, on reading the Bible? Yes, without a doubt. I think people need to get themselves a beautiful Bible. And you know what? The people have asked me, what is the most beautiful Bible? You know, they'll say, is it, is it an RSV? Is it an NAB? I say the most beautiful Bible is the Catholic Bible you're going to open up and read. But read that Bible through the guidance of the early church. Read that Bible by looking at how the early church fathers interpreted those scriptures. And really, I think, John, realize the message of our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and really take that to heart. Catholics, the Bible is a Catholic book. Don't fear opening it up. You're going to love it because you've got Catholic teaching right in there. It's a beautiful thing. You can do it uh, on your own a little bit at a time, or you can uh, join a Bible study at your parish. There's also Bible studies online. There's many ways to do it, but no matter what you do, it's important that we uh, take a little bite of the the Word of God every single day. And uh, William, I really appreciate uh, your uh, historical and biblical perspective. 
I really appreciate you having me on. I've had a great time. I look forward to being back on with you again. We just scratched the surface on this topic. Thanks so much, uh, William. Uh, you can go to uh, patristicpillars.com for much more. Uh, that has been Catholic apologist William Aubrecht. And now it's time for yet another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called The Mousetrap. A mouse looked through the crack in the wall to see the farmer and his wife open a package. What food might this contain, the mouse wondered. He was devastated to discover it was a mouse trap. Retreating to the farmyard, the mouse proclaimed the warning, There's a mouse trap in the house! There's a mouse trap in the house! The chicken clucked and scratched, raised her head and said, Mr. Mouse, I can tell this is a grave concern to you, but it's of no consequence to me. I cannot be bothered by it. The mouse turned to the pig and told him, There's a mouse trap in the house. There's a mouse trap in the house. The pig sympathized but said, I'm so very sorry, Mr. Mouse, but there's nothing I can do about it but pray. Be assured you're in my prayers. The mouse then turned to the cow and said, There's a mouse trap in the house. There's a mouse trap in the house. The cow said, Wow, Mr. Mouse, I'm sorry for you, but it's no skin off my nose. So the mouse returned to the house, head down and dejected to face the farmer's mouse trap alone. That very night a sound was heard throughout the house, like the sound of a mouse trap catching its prey. The farmer's wife rushed to see what was caught. In the darkness, she did not see it was a venomous snake whose tail the trap had caught. The snake bit the farmer's wife. The farmer rushed her to the hospital, and she returned home with a fever. Everyone knows you treat a fever with fresh chicken soup, so the farmer took his hatchet to the farmyard for the soup's main ingredient. But his wife's sickness continued, So friends and neighbors came to sit with her around the clock. To feed them, the farmer butchered the pig. The farmer's wife did not get well. She died. And so many people came for her funeral. The farmer had the cow slaughtered to provide enough meat for all of them. The mouse looked upon it all from his crack in the wall with great sadness. So next time you hear someone is facing a problem and think it doesn't concern you, remember when one of us is threatened, we're all at risk. We're all involved in this journey called life. We must keep an eye out for one another and make an extra effort to encourage one another. Each of us is a vital thread in another person's tapestry. 1 John 4.11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Thanks so much, Glenn, for yet another inspirational story corner. Uh, Here in the new year, let's try to get to daily Mass if you can and pray the family rosary across America with Father Rocky, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for this Tuesday edition of Morning Air for Glenn Leverance, producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Wednesday on the next Morning Air. The Patrick Madrid Show is next.